Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, we want to welcome back all of our listeners to the next episode of the Life Success Legacy Podcast. I'm Chris Bay, joined from Houston, Mike Kwong, and right outside Southern Lawrence, Michael K. Everett. How are you, gentlemen? Good morning. Right away. Right. Uh, we've got uh, Mike Crawford, the third Mike, um, recording and doing stuff in the background. We were joking about him popping his head in at some point if he <laughs> if we're saying stuff that's not true or something, he can come in and straighten oh. us out. <laughs> hey, um, today the topic that we're going to jump into, we're going to do a, a, something that kind of um, it, it's personal for some of us. At least it's a thinking exercise for us. And tie it back to um, Becoming Your Own Banker, um, Nelson's book. Specifically, if you have your book or you're familiar with it, we're on uh, fifth edition. I'm on page 29 and 30, which is Willie Sutton's Law. And here in just a second, we're going to ask Mike Everett to kind of outline and remind us about what Willie Sutton's Law is and all that. Um, so what we're going to do, the question that we're really tackling today is... Would you prefer to have a tax exception or have multiple uses of your dollar? Okay. Ooh. Would you Ooh. be because in our in our economic system in the United States, we have we have these tax laws, and Michael talked about the tax law and when it was introduced and all those kinds of things, our, our historical reference. But then there's a whole bunch of exceptions to the rules, right? And so that is appealing, those exceptions. But what we as IBCers want to think about is that, ex is that exemption or that exception to the tax rule more attractive than getting multiple uses of our dollars? And we're going to use a couple of examples as a thought exercise. With the 529, which is a um, tax qualified plan for education. And then also uh, a popular health savings account, HSA, that people utilize. We're going to use those as an example. It's a thinking exercise. So Mike Everett, if you can take us back into Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, <laughs> Willie Sutton's Law, and in Nelson's humor, first <laughs> of all, let's just preface this. Um, this. This can waver a little bit on the political side because... Um, Nelson had some very strong oh, man. Uh, Austrian economics um, perspective on on finance and taxes, et cetera. And that and he gets into that here with Willie Sutton's law. So, Mike, can you can you introduce us to uh, Willie Sutton's law? Remind us what that's all about. Well, I remember uh, when when Nelson would do uh, his seminars, his live seminars, one of the very first things that he would say is, and it's it's really in the book, he says, isn't it funny that Willie Sutton's law follows Parkinson's law in the book? So I'm I'm literally going to highlight a, a few things in the in the very first paragraph so people can get kind of an idea about Nelson, his seriousness, but yet using humor in that serious tone yeah. so we've looked at parkinson's law and if you can overcome it you win by default in comparison because your peers can't do it and really 
what we're looking at is most of the time when we're in a situation where we're talking about finances and money, we usually always push towards what everybody else is doing. That's exactly what this is really all about. But now you got to face Willie Sutton's law. And really, he reminds us that Willie Sutton was a notorious bank robber between 1901 and 1980. <laughs> and then they always ask him why in the world he robbed banks. And he goes, well, that's where the money is. <laughs> and, and you, Nelson was always had this long pause right there. And he would say, well, that's where they keep all the money. And, you know, everybody in the crowd, you know, because we would have anywhere from 30, sometimes up to 400 people at one of his live seminars, which was uh, the reason why he created Willie Sutton's Law was, and I'm going to read it here. So mm -hmm. Sutton's Law is formulated thusly, wherever wealth is accumulated, someone will try and steal it. Now, sounds simple, but Willie didn't invent that activity. He was just a stellar practitioner of the art as an individual. The phenomenon has been around since the beginning of time. Now, that's here's part of the thought process. People are kind of going, what do you mean? Theft was the first labor-saving idea. Don't <laughs> produce anything, just steal it and that steal that which someone else has produced. So if you think about it, and this is where Nelson would go immediately, who's the biggest thief in the world? He'd pause and he'd wait for two or three answers. And then after everybody goofed it up, he'd say, if you answered the IRS, you are correct. So in the midst of all of that, Nelson used the seriousness of what was going on in theft and stealing and using an example of Willie Sutton as the example, but yet correlated it very, very quickly to the IRS, our wonderful internal revenue service. <laughs> How have they helped you today, right? Yeah. <laughs> You've so, heard me say that a few times. <laughs> what have they done for you today? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Nelson had a very strong Austrian economics, which, yep. you know, is, is basically um, low, low to no taxes, right? Unfund yeah. programs, those kinds of things, which is, you know, very different than what we have now. Um, so, Mike, tell us about tax, the tax law. We all know that life insurance with IBC predates the tax law. Tell us about the tax law and then the exceptions to the rules that Nelson would talk about. Well, the tax law came into being in 1913. And as you just stated, whole life insurance was created 120, 125 years prior to the tax law. So it's not a government idea. But what are the things that the government has created after the tax law? Now, I, I hate to do this, but yet he's got an example in here of Frederick Bastia. And really it was about um, the state and how they perverted 
the law and took over the powers that be. And there is really a lot that can go on there, but Bastia said, basically, see if the law takes from some persons what belongs to them and gives it to another person to whom it does not belong to. See if the law benefits one citizen at the expense of another by doing what the citizen citizen himself cannot do without committing a crime. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, part of history, now keep in mind, this was all stated and was going on prior to the income tax law coming into play in 1913. So it's hard for me not to touch on some of these things because Willie Sutton's law is about theft. Mm -hmm. It's about wealth being taken from one person and given to another whether it be through theft or whether it be through the government usage, but the government is not capable of producing anything. Right. It's just a parasite. See, government is a parasite and lives off the productive task, uh, taxpayers, the host. So we are the host. And it, it is self-evident that if the parasite takes all the produce of the host, then both parties die. And, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, this is why they invented all of these other things. They invented qualified pension plans, they HR 10s, 401ks, IRAs, and you can even get into the insurance business with universal life and indexed universal life and variable universal life. So really what's happening is you've got all of these entities that are following the rules that are being set by our government, but yet every one of those things that we just listed out were all created after the tax law came in place in 1913. So they've got so, to follow all the rules that are set up within the tax law, right? And, and, and go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the, the tax law book, <laughs> the tax law book is probably three feet, you know, deep in rules. And the, the, the crazy thing is, and then. And the majority of that, that book is actually all the exceptions to the rule, uh, right? It, it is. I, so. Can you believe it? The lawmakers create a problem by spending money they don't have, which results in strangling taxation. And then they create the solution in the form of an exception to the rules that they just created. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't seem logical at all. Well, it isn't <laughs> logical. So if you get back to some of the basics, Nelson stated very plainly that the real solution was to quit government spending and get out of every one of the government issued, government formed programs that they created as a solution. And then they keep creating 
additional exceptions to the rules. A great example would be our 401ks. They started out with a retirement plan. Then they made it the pension plan. Then they've created the 401k and the 401k was like the, the, the do all cure all, but then they keep creating different rules within that 401k. And I stopped doing 401ks right at 20 years ago um, because I started looking at some of the quote unquote exceptions that really were not benefiting me. Right. So, and I, I don't know if this is a good place to talk about our, our, our three questions we always ask is number one, are income taxes going to go up or down? Number two, the money that you have right now in your checking or savings account, is it worth more today or worth more tomorrow? And number three, when when thinking about income taxes, do you want to pay on the little amount or do you want to pay on the big amount? And the answers to those questions are really super simple. Mm-hmm. And once you start to kind of sift through those questions and then answer those things internally, you will see right away that the plans that have been put in place for you are really not for you. I'm going to stop. So, so in many of the, what you were just talking about in many of those, it is deferred taxation. That's and, all it is. And we can, we can really take a look at that and, and it becomes pretty clear to us. I, I would say 99.9% of our clients do not contribute to a tax qualified plan if they have the option not to. So 401ks, things like that, they they don't. Now we don't tell people that. That's there their you choice. Go. We we don't tell people what to do with their money. But but our clients, because the education that they've done, they typically do not contribute if they have the option. That's right. Now what what we want to get into now is a uh, a thinking exercise, mm-hmm. not necessarily on two two things that are tax um, deferred but actually a tax savings and whether that is beneficial. So the question that we want to get into, and we're going to look at 529 education plans and uh, health savings accounts, right? Whereas if we, in both of those, if we take our own personal dollars and we put them into either a 529 plan or a health savings account, and we use them within the rules specifically for those purposes, they are, there are tax exceptions on those. Those, those do not count towards your taxable income. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we want to break that down a little bit. Um, so let's start with the 529, which is an education uh, tax qualified plan. Uh, I'll, I'll start into this um, a little bit. We personally uh, with a uh, one one kiddo who's been through college now and graduated and another one who's currently in education in college, we have not put money into 529 plans personally. Um, and the reason for that is, yes, we could save on taxes for that. 
But the way I think about it as an IBCer is I can run those dollars through my IBC system. And even though it is taxable income, I'm gaining three uses of those dollars. Mm -hmm. So for us personally, we decided not um, to put money into a 529. Now, I will tell you, my parents, who are not IBCers, um, and, and I'm grateful for them, they did put five money into 529 starting way back. They you know just put a little bit in and let it grow over the years um, to help out with their grandchildren's college expenses. I will also say we had to, because of all the rules, we had to do a ton of research and a ton of manipulation within that stuff so that it didn't hurt our kids' abilities to get grants, uh, fed, uh, subsidized student loans, et cetera, because my parents had 529 plans, right? Uh -huh. So them having 529 plans actually made it more challenging for us to figure <laughs> out. So um, I'll just say that, you know, for people who that are out there that have kiddos that are, you know, they're looking ahead to college education and such. So um, I'll pause right there. Mike Kwong, um, Jackie's looking at college coming up here quickly. Yeah. Share with our listeners a little bit about your thought process. Have you had 529 plans? What's your thought process been? Sure. So, of course, you know, early on, you, you kind of listen to the news when you have a, a, a young one at home and want to plan for college. And of course, that pops up as a very popular route, right? Save your money. Right. And in, in this qualified plan, 529s, you know, there's different states even. There, it's a whole marketplace. You can go shop the different states. Right. Virginia had, the, you know, really, uh, I guess, popular one or, you know, so we did that and we started putting our money away kind of just because everyone else did. Like I said, the herd mentality. Uh, and it's certain, be certainly better to at least be planning for it. Right. So. This was um, for a few years and it, it grew, but uh, after a while, we look at the statements and realize that most of that growth was really from our own you know, contribution, right? There was never really any growth besides that. And then as I learned more about it, you know, as you know, you mentioned it's, it's very limited as far as what you can use that money for, right? Mm -hmm. There's more restrictions on it than you would imagine. Um, because, you know, nowadays, especially not everyone necessarily ends up going to college or they take some time off and then, well, you need that money until that, you know, they figure it out maybe. And there's a lot of, um, restrictions again to that money. Then, so ultimately we decided, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna cut that off. And for a while we, we just cut it, you know, funding into it just to see what we're doing. And it wasn't doing anything. There were, you know, um, and then finally we took it out and we took it out and that's when we got our second, you know, policy. And, and now, you know, Jackie's got three um, because we were able to redirect that capital and, and it's, it's day and night as far as, you know, the, her, her savings for, for school building up in the policy. So when you pulled the, the money out, you had to pay taxes on it at that point. That, that's the other thing, again, restrictions, not on the, the, the use of the money, but when you do take it out, they're going to penalize you, Right. Uh, just like any qualified plan, uh, aside from the income taxes, you know, um, I think there's that penalty, right, Chris? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, Mike, um, you and Pei had a um, college preparation, college preparatory yeah. business, and you you guided students and parents in that whole process. Uh, and I'm curious, 
in that role in that business did you talk with parents about 529s the pros and cons did they ask you about your advice on those things well i mean what when we talked about money it was really to help them with the the fafsa right the free application for federal student aid mm -hmm. uh, and, and you brought it up one point about that the complication that that ensues when you have a qualified plan that's absolutely on the radar of these applications when you think about filling out the applications they're looking at you know the parents w2 money incomes what does mom and dad earn how much money do you have in you know savings accounts or you know, checking mm -hmm. account, obviously brokerages things like that 529s are on the table all of this uh that you've been saving for and working hard you know for for your family is going to be, I hate to say it, held against you when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, <laughs> or, or what your child can qualify for, right? right. And right. I always, you know, appreciate the fact that what is one asset class that we have near and dear to us that they never ask about, right? right. Um, so it, it's night and day as far as it's, it's, it's way more important to see past the growth each year for, you know, respective account HSA or, or you know, uh, policy. There's so much else to look at, other advantages that you can't even imagine, you know, so. Yeah, yeah so for us, what we did, is, it, rather than doing the 529 plan, we funneled as much money as we could into our IBC policies. And, and what we did is then while the kids were in school, you're gaining an additional four years, right? While they're in school. So what we did is we actually leveraged as much of the other people's money. We utilized student loans, subsidized and non-subsidized. Um, you know, any grants were beneficial. But what we're doing is we are using other people's money for those four years. We're putting as much into our IBC policies and letting them grow. Now, keep in mind, we had had our policies for several years. So every dollar we put in was creating more than a dollar of availability. Mm -hmm. Then at the end, when they graduated, if we had accumulated any loans, that's when we then would take a loan against our policy. It's still continuing to grow and compound as if we never touched it, right? Mm -hmm. We've got death benefit on it. So that's a second use, right? So we've got that guaranteed growth. We've got the death benefit attached to it. And we're now taking a loan against the policy and we're knocking out those student loans without losing all the interest on those student loans. Right. Yeah. So that was that was kind of our approach um, rather than doing the the 529 plan uh, on that. So to us, yes, we could have saved some money on the taxes. But we're putting money that's already taxed directly into our policy and we're getting three uses of those dollars. Mm -hmm. And for us, we felt like that was a better solution for us. Shall we transition to. Um, health savings accounts as another thinking exercise. This is one that, that sometimes people ask about. And I, my experiences with our clients, the health savings account is usually one of the last things that they let go of. That that's one that people tend to hang on to. We personally have not chosen to go down the health savings account. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that. So the whole purpose, and Mike Kwong, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about the mindset of that saving the tax dollars. Because what we're doing is for a family right now in 2023, you can put $7,750 into a health savings account 
And that $7,750 comes off of your taxable income, right? right? So Mike Kwong, you do a great job of kind of talking about the mindset that people, you know, wow, I want to save all that money on my taxes. Yeah. So, you know, what I've noticed, and, and I felt prey to this early on, right? When we hear about all these different deductions and everything, you have certain dollar amounts that you, you know, hear about, like you just said, 7,250 or whatever it was, where I can, you know, save 10,000 off my taxes. And that's where it ends. And then your mind kind of thinks and think, okay, well, if I can save 10,000 off my taxes, great. I'm better off by 10,000. Well, hold on. No, you're, you're, you've, you've reduced your liability by $10,000 or whatever that amount is. But depending on your tax bracket, the actual dollar amount saved or you're benefiting from is a fraction of that. Mm -hmm. And that's really at, what's at play because when you factor in, you know, what else could my dollars have been doing that economic value added, uh, then it really comes into, you know, uh, stark uh, play. Yeah. So let's just, I'll give a simple, simple example. And these are very, very round, rough numbers for people. But just to illustrate what Mike Kwong was just talking about, let's just say that I have a taxable income of $100,000. And let's just say that my my taxes on that hundred thousand dollars is twenty thousand dollars, right? Just a flat twenty percent. Yep. Okay. So my taxable income is a hundred thousand dollars. My taxes are twenty thousand dollars. But if I put my money into a health savings account and I put in seven thousand seven hundred fifty dollars, so that's two thousand twenty three a family um, contribution. That's going to reduce my taxable income from $100,000 down to $92,250. So then we apply that 20% tax on that. So my taxes would be reduced from $20,000 originally down to $18,450. <laughs> so the actual difference in savings in taxes is $1,550. Now, my way of thinking is I would rather take my dollars, that $7,750, and I would rather run that through my IBC policy, especially if it is a mature policy where I'm actually gaining at least that mm -hmm. dollar or more availability. I get death benefit on it. I get guaranteed growth not tied to the market. And I can now pull out that money without mm -hmm. impacting the growth and use it to pay for those health expenses. Oh, by the way, if you follow HSAs, there's a whole list of restrictions on what you can use those HSA dollars for mm -hmm. in the medical world. It's not just anything you want. There are restrictions on what qualifies and what doesn't. For us, because we do have a family with health needs and we do a lot of weird, freaky, outside-the-box health stuff, right? We don't have to we don't have to worry about those qualified expenses. We just use our, our dollars that we put into our policy. We use them however we want for our medical expenses. So we're getting multiple, multiple uses and we don't have to follow all those rules for us. Yeah, Mike? The question I had was, are these dollars, can you roll them over if you didn't use all of it, for example, year to year, do you know? On HSAs? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. I've never used an HSA. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder too, if, if you don't use the whole benefit, right, does it have mm -hmm. to start over or is it like rollover minutes where you can, you know. <laughs> That's a good, I, I'll be researching that because I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Okay. So 
so really our point today was to kind of tie this back to the the Willie Sutton's law and the tax exceptions to the rules that Mike did such a great job of explaining for us. And then actually do a thinking exercise where most of us out in noise, as Nelson would call it, everybody's going to tell you to max out your 529 plan. They're going to tell you to max out your HSAs. All we're saying is, let's just push the pause button and do a thinking exercise about that. Does it always make sense to follow those tax rules for the mm -hmm. for the tax benefit? So. Okay, anything else you guys want to comment before we wrap up? Good stuff. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for thanks for participating in those um, in those exercises. To our listeners, uh, check us out at lifesuccesslegacy.com. Um, got some great learning uh, options there for you, depending on your learning style, whether it's a learning kit. We have lots of books. We have free downloads. Um, I specifically would recommend um, Mike Kwong's book, Dibs on Your Money. I think he did an excellent job of explaining and really tying in the concept of infinite banking and um, being able to build something for future passive income as well. He does a great job of explaining how those things go. Um, feel free to reach out to us. We love it when people will give us comments or ask questions in the comments. Um, so that we have future content for our uh, podcasts. Till next time, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you guys in the future. Thank you. Bye.